Well, we've been going over Ephesians, and we've been going over it from chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and, and it's just been a different type of, of series for us, and especially for me, because I'm really used to doing topical-type sermons and, and going all over the place, and, uh, but I'm really enjoying getting into this book. It is so rich. Well, I'll say it's a letter, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's, it's so rich with so many things in it, so many sweeping statements that uh, Paul wrote here to the church. And the first three chapters, and we you know, talked about this the last few weeks, that the first three chapters is really about how that we are the redeemed of the Lord, and Paul just expounding on that. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, which will begin chapter 4 uh, next week, is really about how us as the redeemed, how we're to live. And I can say this, that we are to live victoriously. Amen. That's it. We're to live victorious. Uh, and, and that gets spelled out real clear in Ephesians. It's almost like the book of Ephesians just got, has everything. It's just really, really cool uh, as we've been breaking this down and looking at it. And we started in chapter 1, and he was talking about the idea of regeneration, the idea of us being made alive. We're no longer dead. We are alive. And then talking about adoption, how that we're all in the family of God. All of us are included, every single one of us. And it was predestined for all of us to be in the family of God from the very beginning. Now, it's up to each of us to believe that and to accept that invitation, but it was destined for, uh, from the very beginning for each of us to be in the family of God. He wants all of us. God so loved thee whole world it was the whole thing so all of it and then in verse 10 of chapter 1 is so vital to the whole book and we're even going to read it again this week because it's just it's foundational for what Paul was trying to say because he's really saying this is my uh, you know plan that I've heard from the father what this is what I've got this is God's master plan this is what it is he's bringing everything together heaven and earth back in Christ. And that is, you know, and it really goes along with the word that dad said earlier about the church, and it's going to continue, and we're going to see that. You know, we hear a lot of gloom and doom, but, you know, by and large across the world, it's not that way. Amen. Amen. Now, yes, we've got some problems here or some problems there, but by and large, Christianity is winning. In other words, God's winning. Christianity is outpacing the population growth around the world. Now, in America, it's not so. We just recently, in the last couple of decades, it began to switch where we're not outpacing the population growth. So what does that mean? That means we've got some work to do as the church in America. We see missionaries coming into America instead of missionaries going out. Now, we got it going out, but it seems like there's more coming in. And, you know, I was just talking a couple of weeks ago, sitting with a, a gentleman that we're going to hear from, uh, uh, you know, from South Africa, and he's, uh, you know, been here uh, now for a while in the States, and I was talking with him, and he was talking about how it is, it's different in other places, and he's been in a lot of areas, and what God is doing, and it's, it's amazing what God is doing in different places, and so God's master plan is in effect. It is moving, and it is moving along just fine. Now, do we have work to do? Again, yes, we do. However, all things, heaven and earth, are coming together in Christ. Well, what does that mean? Just as Christ, when he prays, said, pray this, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth 
as it is in heaven. The things in heaven needs to come down. How things operate, how things go in heaven is supposed to come down on the earth. Thy kingdom come. We are to advance his kingdom. That's our purpose is to reflect his glory on the earth. Amen. That's it. And so Paul really in this letter it just encapsulates all of that. And in chapter 2, we started looking at the process of per- personal reconciliation to God, which includes that adoption, how we're all apart. And then he ends chapter 2 talking about unity and peace and family. As you know, Pastor Justin was talking about there at the end of chapter 2, that's vital for us to be in unity, for us to have that peace, and for us to understand how that we're all part of the family of God, every single one of us. And we know that church is not a building. Church is people. Church is people. And in chapter 3, we talked about last week the revealing of God's mystery. And it's so important because that mystery is how that believing Jews and believing Gentiles, how they're all partakers. They're all heirs. So in other words, we're all part of the promise. There's not one select group. It's we are the select, the elect of God, all of us that believe. Amen? So that mystery being revealed. And see, Paul prays this prayer, and so we're going to go over the second part of chapter 3, and we have to keep in mind that revealed mystery as we go through this prayer. Now, before we get started, let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your anointing. Lord, I thank you that our hearts and our minds would be open to receive from you this day, this morning. Lord, that all distractions of yesterday, today, and tomorrow would just be gone. Lord, that we can focus on you during this time to receive what you have for us in Jesus name. Amen and amen. So we're going to look at verses 14 through 21, which contains this prayer that Paul prayed. And again, we have to keep in light of God's master plan of the mystery that has been revealed, how that we are all part of that master plan, all things coming in to Christ, being a part of his family. So we'll pick up starting in verse 14. It says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man. Verse 17, That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now we look at verse 14 and 15. This is an introduction to Paul's prayer. And right off the bat in verse 14, he says, for this reason, for this reason. What does that mean? Again, we have to keep in light what he was just saying about the mystery of God. For this reason, Because of what I just said to you that you all now can come together because we have to remember with the Gentiles and the Jews, the Gentiles felt like, oh, wait a minute, the Jews, that's the special people. This is the special camp over here and I'm not necessarily part of that special camp. There's been that division. But now Paul's saying, oh, no, 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 no. We're all the same. We're all included. We're all partakers. And for this reason, 
I'm going to pray this prayer. For this reason, I really, really, I want you to get it. I want you to get this. I want you to understand. And so for this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. This means that Paul was praying here when he prayed this prayer. He was praying confidently. He, was pray- he didn't have any question in his mind like on um, what was going on here. He knew what God's plan was. He knew what the mystery was. He had revealed that. So now I'm going to pray this confidently and say for this reason. But then, even though it's a confident prayer, he said, I bow my knees. And see, here's the thing. A lot of times we think humility is one of these things that, that doesn't show confidence. But humility before the Lord is where the Lord meets us. So he said, I bow my knees, which is the ultimate sign of humility before God. And he made it very clear who he was praying to, which is the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he was going to bow before him for the reason of so that the church would get it. So that the church would understand that mystery that plan, that overall plan. Have you ever been, you know, you're in the family at home, maybe your mom, dad, or even growing up, maybe you remember, and maybe you had a family meeting. How many's ever had a family meeting? I've had one of those. I remember recently we were going to have a family meeting, and I, I, I decided that we were going to have this family meeting. But I didn't let everybody know right away that we were having a family meeting. I just started talking and I noticed that different ones weren't understanding that, oh, no, 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 this is a meeting. It's time to sit down, shut up, be quiet and listen to daddy, the father. You know, like everybody didn't, everybody didn't, they they weren't with it. And even my wife, I was looking, I was like, I'm getting a little frustrated. And she goes, well, honey, maybe we could just do this. I'm like, no, you don't understand. I'm trying to have a meeting. But since y'all don't want to have a meeting, we won't do this now. But, oh, make no mistake, we're going to have a meeting. Y'all aren't in the right frame of mind, but we're going to have a meeting. And so we didn't have the meeting right then and there, but we had the meeting at another time. We sat down, okay, it's a meeting. Now everybody's perked up, their ears are ready, and, and, and they understand. And everybody was getting it. I kind of feel like with Ephesians, Paul's like, he's talking to family. See, and we have to remember that Paul was there in Ephesians. He ministered to that church for three years. He knew these people. These these words, these sweeping statements and these things that we've gone over the last several weeks, for some of us, you know, we didn't know what all it meant or maybe, you know, as we dig into it, these people knew what these words were. He was putting it all together for them so that they would really understand that they would get it. And he was showing them how he was praying for them so they could pray too. You need to pray like this so you'll get it. Just like in chapter 1, that the eyes of your understanding would be, oh man, we can't go backwards. We can't get back to chapter 1. But he was praying confidently, but yet he was humbled. And I believe he was humbled Because when he began to realize how awesome God's master plan really was and how he fit in it, oh, man. Oh, and, you know, see, that gives me that chicken skin just now, you know, the goosebumps. Why? Because it's so 
awesome, is so miraculous that from the very beginning, he's had this plan and looking back and seeing, and when you look at the percentage of the population over the centuries and how much progress has really been made, it's awesome, it's mind-boggling, it's just amazing how God is winning. We are winning. The church is winning. I serve a winner, amen? So Paul makes it very clear who he's bowing to, and then he starts, and who he's praying to, and then he goes in verse 16, and this is where the the prayer really kicks in and starts. Verse 16, that he would grant you, I like that, grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So right off the bat, he's praying that they would be strengthened with might. Now this word might is dunamis, dunamis power. So he's praying, you know, that you would have power. That you would be strengthened. But what's it according to? It's God's riches. It's his glory, according to his glory. Thank God it's not according to mine or some man or someone who, you know, doesn't understand how things go. You know, when I say don't understand, see this word, this word, you know, glory, you know, we think of brightness and we think of uh, splendor. And the word glory in many spots, it means that. But in the Greek right here, we look at it's a little more than that. It comes from, you know, the origin of the word glory. It primarily means thought or opinion. And secondarily, it means brightness or splendor. So what was Paul really saying here? He was saying, oh, this is good, that I want you to be strengthened with might according to God's opinion of you, not your own. I want you to be strengthened by what God says and thinks and knows about you, not what somebody else thinks, not what you think, because church, what is faith? It's me living out God's opinion of me, not me. The moment I begin to live out my life in my opinion of me, I will miss it. I will miss it. I've got to live my life according to what God says. Why? Because somebody else's vision for me, somebody else's thoughts for me will be too low. And my own thoughts about myself and my own vision for me will be too low. That's why I'm going to look to God. What is he saying about me? What does he say about me in in his word? And then what is he speaking to me in my spirit? And I'm going to walk that out every single day, what God says about me. It doesn't matter what you, 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 and everybody else says. And when someone else speaks contrary to what I know to be true in the word, what God's opinion of me is, oh no, you can go kick rocks. It's that simple. It's that simple. And that's the attitude we need. You say, well, TJ, I don't know if I can do that. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Be strengthened with his might, his power. Think about yourself the way God thinks about you When you begin to think that way, miracles begin to take place. Because when you think about yourself the way God thinks about you, now you're about his business. You're about advancing the kingdom of God and miracles follow the kingdom. Amen. Better keep on. God strengthens you with power. And he strengthens our inner man. And he does that through 
his spirit. And this is the something that we can't just pass over. We can't just look. We see it's by the spirit of God. We know that we have the Holy Spirit. We've got to be listening to it. Because why should we, why do we have to have our ears tuned? Why do we have to be, because that's where the strength to the inner man comes from. If we walk throughout our day, Without hearing and without the, we'll miss so many things. We'll miss so many different opportunities through our week. We won't catch all that God has for us. In verse 17 in the first part, he says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, the word dwell, and, and you've probably seen this in many different places, and really there's two words that convey this idea because dwell means to live in, and there's two words that, that kind of convey this idea to live in, meaning one as like a stranger would come and temporarily live in, and one that comes and makes his abode or makes his house, makes his permanent residence. And that's what Paul's talking about here. The permanent address. The permanent place. I remember Carrie Ann and I, you know, we rented for several years, and we were looking for a house to buy and, you know, we were trying to save funds and, and those kind of things. And, and it seemed like we couldn't stay in one place. Uh, we would start renting, and, and I noticed an envelope came and got put on our door, and it said foreclosure notice. And we thought, okay, this is strange. Why, why are we getting a foreclosure notice? And, uh, you know, it wasn't written to us. It was written to the owners of the house that we were renting from. And, you know, I thought, uh, this is strange. And you know what I did? I just went ahead and opened it. Um, you know, usually I wouldn't open somebody else's mail. But the word foreclosure kind of was just this ding, ding, ding. You know, just on the inside, you just feel kind of like, hey, yucky. Uh, so I opened it. And sure enough, the house was being foreclosed on. And so I immediately called uh, the owners. And wouldn't you know it, got the voicemail. And left a message, and then left another message. And finally, they got back to me and said, Oh, yeah, we're really sorry about that. But, yeah, we haven't been able to pay for about eight months now, and it's gone into foreclosure. And I'm thinking, Oh, okay, so I've been giving you, paying you rent for eight months. And saying, Okay, well, I'm not giving you this rent check right here. I had 60 days to be out of the house by law, and I had to find another place. And so, you know, we found another place, and then we were there, and then the owners wanted to sell, and we had to move out of that one. We get to the next one, and the other one really kind of wanted to, you know, sell, so we, you know, raise it or something. I can't remember the story. And finally, we bought our house. We found that permanent home, and we didn't have to, and we knew that now it was under our control. It was up to us because we were the owners of the house. It wasn't about being subject, subjective to somebody else. You know, I, I don't have to worry about the owners anymore because I'm now the owner. And I didn't like all, all the owners, per se, that I had before because they wanted me to get up before and move before I wanted to move. But God wants to make that permanent resident. And now when he comes in, we don't have any worries as far as having to move somewhere else. Now, do we have circumstances? Do we have things we have to go? Obviously, yes. We have the tribulations. We talked about that. Through much tribulation, we inherit the kingdom of God. 
we advance the kingdom through tribulation. God shows himself strong, which is why we have this might. But I don't have to worry because God comes to make a permanent residence, a permanent home inside of me. The moment you begin to doubt that, remember these words, God has permanently made a home dwelling inside of you. Permanent. Don't allow the enemy, don't allow somebody else to bring you down to the point where I don't know. Have you ever, you know, look, I've had those feelings. I've had those thoughts. Well, God's so far away, he might as well be as far away as the moon. It just feels like he's not even there. Where are you, God, or what's going on? I don't know. I can't feel anything. I'm in this dry place. I'm in this weary land. I'm in, you know, God's there. God's there. By faith, we've got to know that. By faith, we've got to receive that. Because it says, dwell in your hearts through faith. He doesn't want to just settle down in your heart as as a visitor or as a stranger. He wants it to be a permanent home. Jesus promised this in John as well. We look in John 14, verse 16. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper. And he may abide with you forever. The word helper there is comforter or the Holy Spirit. The Spirit, verse 17, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. You know, it's what's so amazing, like when I, when I had that feeling like I had to be out in 60 days, you just feel like I have nowhere to go. I, you feel like there's just, oh my goodness, I have no home. You never have to have that feeling with God. The second part of that verse, that you be rooted and grounded in love, and this is what really helps because with Christ dwelling within us, the purpose for, of advancing his kingdom is through love. We've got to always walk through love. Charles Spurgeon said this on this. Two expressions are used. Rooted like a tree which lays hold upon the soil. Twist itself around the rocks and cannot be upturned. Grounded like a building which has been settled as a whole and will never show any cracks or flaws in the future through failures in the foundation. Mm, That is so good. Rooted and grounded, never to be undone, never to be upended. Then he goes on, that you be rooted and grounded in love in verse 18, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. This is so good. Because see, sometimes, you know, and we've said the same, you know, God is so vast. He is so infinite. I cannot begin to know all the depths of God. But the thing is, is Paul, when he said this right here, he's showing and he's telling the love of God is measurable. The love of God is something that we can measure. Do we know the fullness of it? We'll never know the fullness. But yet, the love of God is measurable. Charles Spurgeon said this as well. In this measurement, may you and I be skilled. If we know nothing of mathematics, mathematics, may we be well-tutored scholars in this spiritual geometry and be able to comprehend the breadths, the lengths of Jesus' precious love. The width, length, depth, and height. This means that the love of Christ is something that's tangible, something we can see. It's something that we can experience. Charles Spurgeon also said this, Alas, to a great many religious people, the love of Jesus is not a solid, substantial thing at all. 
It is a beautiful fiction, a sentimental belief, a formal theory, but to Paul it was real, substantial, substantial, measurable fact. He considered it this way, that way, and the other way, and it was evidently real to him, whatever it might be to others. The love of Jesus has width. His, lie, his love is so wide, it's enough for the whole world. We see that in John 3.16. The love of Jesus has length. When we consider the length of God's love, we've got to ask ourselves, when did the love of God start towards me and how long will it continue? It's everlasting. Jeremiah says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. It doesn't end. It's constantly going. It'll always go. The love of Jesus has depth. This blows me away, the deepness of God's love, because in Philippians 2, he's saying, he said he came and fashioned himself as a man. He humbled himself. That blows my mind that the God of this universe, the one that created everything, would come down and be God and man in the flesh and suffer on this earth as a man. But he did it for you and for me. That's how deep the love of God is. We can measure that. We can measure that. The love of Jesus has height. And, you know, we looked at it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, of how he raised us and made us sit together in heavenly places. He raises us up. The love of Christ is deep. Look at these statements here. God's love is wide enough to include every person. God's love is long enough to last through all eternity. God's love is deep enough to reach the worst sinner. God's love is high enough to seat us together with him. Amen? He goes on in verse 19, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Here's the thing. Knowledge is not enough to understand God's love. You have to experience it. You know, I remember at, let's see, I think I was 13, 14, somewhere in that range. I went to King's Dominion, and I was going with all these people, and I had never been on a roller coaster before. Let's just be real about what the reason why. I was scared to death. And that's just the way it was. I was scared. I'm not getting on that roller coaster. I see that. Now, all these people that I'm with, they're telling me, but it's cool, man. It's cool. You're going to love it. You're going to like it. You're going to get on and you just close your eyes and you just go. Don't worry. You're going to like it. It's exhilarating. Your blood's going to bump. And you're, you know, it's okay. It's safe. Mostly. (laughs) Except for the stuff coming at you out of other people. Never mind. It's safe. And they tell me all these things, and it's cool, and it's awesome. And so finally, somebody drug me up to the smallest roller coaster, and at the time, it was called the Scooby-Doo. So I'm going to get on this little Scooby-Doo roller coaster. And my hands, even though I'm on this little roller coaster, and my knees, because it's such a small roller coaster, and I'm seeing all these little kids... And I'm gripping the bar. And I go down that first hill and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, and I'm on this little thing. But then I was like, wow, this is actually fun. And then I went to the next one 
and the next one, and next thing you know, I'm going around corkscrews and upside down and all kinds of things, and I'm like, I'm never riding any other rides in this park, just the roller coasters. And so we would just go around to all the roller coasters and just ride all the roller coasters two times here, two times there, two times here, two times there, rinse and repeat every single time. Because once I got a little taste of how good it was, I couldn't get enough. And see, just knowing about God, just knowing about his love, you don't really know it. You don't really understand it. You've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. You've got to get in there and start seeing the height, the depth, the length, all of that. You've got to start experiencing the love of God and seeing this. And this was so overwhelming for Paul as he began to look here. That's why he said, I bow my knees. I'm humbled before you, God, because of your depths of your love, your master plan. And you so thought that I was worthy enough to be a part of that. I'm humbled. Let me get on my knees. Let me get on my knee. And for this reason, I want you to know this too. It's so rich. It's so good. It's so awesome. And just as the word that dad said earlier, it's right. The church will prevail. And we're going to see that here in a moment. Because there's this wonderful, wonderful thing here. And the second part of 19 says that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Adam Clark, he's a theologian, he said this, among all the great sayings in this prayer, this is the greatest. To be filled with God is a great thing. To be filled with the fullness of God is still greater. But to be filled with all the fullness of God utterly bewilders the sense and confounds the understanding. It's so amazing. It's so awesome. And we go right here into verse 20 and 21. This is a doxology of how he just pulls everything together. And he says this, now to him, and he just says this to the Lord. I'm, this, is, mm, this is so good. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Above all that we ask or think, what does this mean? Look at these statements. You can ask for every good thing you have ever experienced. God can do above that. You can think of or imagine things beyond your experience. God can do above that. You can imagine good things that are beyond your ability to name. God can do above that. We don't even know how far above. All I know, it's above. And I think that's awesome. That's great. And it's exceedingly abundant above. And it's according to the power that works in us. Now let's keep this, keep this in context with the first three chapters that we just covered. God's master plan of heaven and earth coming together, all of us being brought into the family as one. Who is able to bring such things to pass? Only God can do this because he can do far above what we can ask or think. Church, I look at the world and I don't see how it's going to happen. I can't see it. I just know it's taking place. I see little things, little things there. I just know it's happening. 
And I trust a God who, who came down and died for me and I've experienced his love. And because of that, because of that experience, I trust in that master plan that he is in charge. He doesn't control everything. We have that free will. He's in charge though. And there's certain things where he comes and he touches the earth and he just comes out and says, I'm going to do that right there because that right there will help bring things in to that master plan. And I trust that. I trust that because he's a better game manager than anybody else I know. And because he said this, according to the power that works in us, this just means that God's able to do this now. He's able to do this now. And here's the thing. When he says God is able, most people in the church, most Christians don't have any problem with God is able. Where we stumble, is God willing to do it for me? Oh, God's able. Oh, I know. He can do all these things. He created the earth. He spit out the stars. You know, he's spinning stars on his hands. I can spin a basketball on my hands. So what? He's spinning stars. God is able to do anything, but is he willing to do it for little old me? And the answer to that is a resounding yes. Yes. He is willing to go to bat for you. Yes, he's willing to fight your battles for you. Yes, he's willing. As you trust him, he'll bring you through. Yes, he's willing as you're going through that tribulation, that trial, that thing. He's there to be with you, to guide you through. Yes, he's willing. We've got to take the glasses, those lenses of rejection, and we've got to throw it out the window. We've got to stop looking behind and start looking ahead because our future's bright. We've got to look and we've got to see that God's not only able, but he's willing. Why? Why? Because I'm his son, so I'm willing. I'm able and I'm willing because that's my dad. See, in my family, when my sons, when my daughter comes to me and says, Dad, can you do this? Can you do that? Or can you help me? They're coming to me because they know I'm able, or hopefully, because I can't fix everything. When the plastic broke in two, I just, I'm sorry. But I'm able. They know dad's able. And see, there's certain things they go to mom for, but there's certain things they go to dad for because he's able and they know it. There's certain stuff. You know, my son, there's a symbol on the car that popped up, a little light thing. He's like, I don't know what that means. Let me take a picture and text it to dad. Dad, what's that mean? Why? Because they know I'm able or, or, you know, my daughter, you know, she got a little snafu, got a little, somebody in the parking lot hit her. She didn't call mom, she called dad. That's my girl. See, the thing is, God's willing, and I was willing, and I was there. See, God is willing. We've got to believe that he's not just able, but he's willing. Because he is able, we've just got to believe the second part. And here's, here's, here's the last part. Verse 21, to God be the glory in the church. Why did he say that? Not in ourselves, but the church. Yes, God does live, move, and have his being in each of us individually. But why did he say 
the church, it's because that master plan can only be carried out and accomplished through us collectively. Not us individually, us collectively. Can we all stand? Ephesians is so deep, so much here. And I'm really looking forward to chapter four because it's like, it's a, it's a shift. It's a shift in, in, in a little bit right there from the end of chapter three into four. And we start seeing some things of how we're to live. And I'm looking forward to that. But I tell you, cha- the first three chapters, are, they're glorious. They're just awesome. Because it shows where you and I, as the family of God, where we are, where we fit. How, how are we in God's eyes? How does God really see us? What are we here for? Our purpose. I mean, you, there's so much that we can get out of these th- three chapters. Maybe you missed some of the others. You can get online and listen to those. I want to encourage you to do that at churchpluggedin.com, and you can you know, listen to some of the ones that uh, we had previously for chapter 1 and chapter 2. And also, just look at that and study it and go through it yourself. And this prayer, even though we broke down this prayer, and it was for the church, the, the, the people there at Ephesus, but it was also because it was a circular letter. Most theologians say it's a circular letter written. It was distributed to all the churches at the time. Basically, that prayer was for us. Amen. It's for us. Take that prayer, pray it for yourself, but also, don't forget this part, pray it for the church. Not just the Connection Church, the body of Christ, the church in this world. Praying that everybody would get it. They would understand it. And I'll tell you, if if different ones in the body of Christ would get it and understand it, some of that gossiping and finger-pointing and accusing and arguments and all that stuff... It go to the wayside. Oh, argue about this, that. It, who cares? You know, in my family, all with my children, all growing up, it, the kids. You know, they're they're wonderful. I hardly ever have to get on to them. I, I mean, they really are. They're great. But every now and then, they get to arguing about something, and most of the time, the arguments are just they don't matter. They don't. Just about every time I argue with my wife, we could have avoided it. Don't look at me and smile. You know, that's you too. You could have avoided it. Usually it's about something silly. And if you just come at it, understanding the love that you have for your spouse and that they have for you, it'd be different. If we truly understood and knew and could experience talking about the body of Christ, the love of God, to the degree that Paul did and he understood, we'd be living in a different place. Amen? That's where we need to get to. That's why this prayer is important. That's why we've got to pray it for us, and we've got to continue to pray it. So let's go to the Lord now. Let's pray. Let's ask the Father. Let's go to him. Heavenly Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, mm, we come to you. Hallelujah. And I thank you.
Lord, we humble ourselves before you, just as Paul did as he bowed. Lord, we humble ourselves before you. Lord, and I thank you that you would grant unto us power, might, that we would be strengthened through the Holy Spirit in our inner man. Lord, I thank you that you dwell in our hearts. Lord, may we truly believe that because it's by faith. Lord, that we would be rooted and grounded in your love, that we would get it, that we would comprehend, that we would understand with all of the church, all the saints, the depths, the width, the length, the heights of your love, that we would know the love of Christ that passes all knowledge, that we, we would experience it because, God, we've got to experience it to really know it, and that we'd be filled with all the fullness of God, not part. Lord, we're not settling here today. We're not settling just for a little bit. We're not here just for, uh, you know, religious, just put my time in. God, we want all of you. We want all of you, Father God. Lord, we know that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or that we think. And God, we know that you're willing to do it because it's according to the power that works in us. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you. Glory be to your church, Lord, forever and ever. Father, I thank you for moving us forward in your master plan Lord, that we would all realize and understand the depths of your love and how we are to advance. Our purpose is to reflect your glory on this earth, advancing your kingdom in the here and the now. We're here in this time as a part of your plan. And we say that it is a glorious plan. And we say that we're willing to be a part of it. In Jesus' name, amen.